0: Uh, we're part of a whole worldwide movement of churches called Converge Worldwide that represents, I think it's 1,200 churches in the U.S. We're right around 100 in our region, which is Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Montana, and Alaska. But we have a vision to see more people want and more churches planted. And so earlier this year, I talked to Nate, our executive minister of our region, and said, Are there any church planners that we can connect with? Anybody we can find out what's going on in the church planning? He said, Yeah. There's a guy just down the road in Mount Vernon named Garrett. And so we've traded some texts and connected and finally we got a chance to get Garrett up here. So let's bring Garrett up here. Let's give him a hand. So this is Garrett. He's church planting in uh, Mount Vernon. And uh, so just who are you? (laughs) I always like to start with that.
1: Where do you come from? That's a good question. Um. It's always tempting not to talk about what I do for a living at that question. You oh, know? okay. You know, so but um, so I live in cedro Woolly. It's about thirty minutes south of here. Um, I have a beautiful wife, two kids, ages of three and two, one on the way. Yes, my house is complete madness all the time. Um, really exciting, you know. I've I've got chickens. I like hanging out with my chickens. I like mowing my yard. I like being at home with my family. Um, and on the other side, I really love Jesus. I've spent my whole life in the church In high school. I really got into wanting to be a church planner and and wanting to see more people know him. Um, and so today is, is kind of the, I don't know, the crescendo of a 10 year journey for me realizing, you know, this lifelong dream of, of being able to do this. Wow. So I'm really excited to be here. I'm really thankful.
0: When did you first meet Jesus?
1: Oh, uh, in a Lutheran church in California. Okay. When I was two. You remember that? Well, okay. not that one. Oh, no, okay. But, <laughs> um, Say, that's not, amazing. Yeah, I know. No, I've I've grown up in churches uh, just my whole life, and um, it, he was just always there. Um, my relationship with God has felt like even if I wanted to, to not have it it wouldn't be an option. Mm. Um so just as as a young kid, um, went to a, you know, private Christian school. Um, in high school when my parents got divorced, had a rough time, tried to separate from that, um, but I, I had a buddy invite me to a youth group when I was in high school and, and I just felt like came I came home, you know. Mm. So since then I've I've been spent full speed ahead. Wow. You know, so
0: was there a moment when you said, I think I'm supposed to be a pastor or I'm supposed to plant a church? Is there, or was it sort of an unfolding?
1: It was, it was kind of a lifelong thing. It began when I was young. Um, that Kind of the, the little old church ladies would come up to my parents and they'd say, hey, I just want to let you know someday your son's going to be a pastor. Um, and they were like, cool. Thanks. Um, and then in high school, when I started going to church again, Um, I got to a church that felt kind of more like a hospital, right? Broken people could come find healing and restoration and then they would be, you know, sent out and and they'd plant another church or they'd start a ministry. And I just thought if I could be a part of that, that seems like something worth doing.
0: Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And so you're going to tell more of that story in your sermon. So I don't want to give away. Yeah, we're going to go there. Give away all the things, but um, I just want to pray for you to start this message and And again, I want to keep us connected to where Jesus is reaching people and moving, and this is right down the the freeway from us, and so I'm excited to have you sharing with us today. So let me pray over uh, over you and the message, and then we're going to hear from you. Awesome. Lord Jesus, we thank you for Garrett. Thank you that you had a hand on him uh, from infancy. Lord, that he was always surrounded with your people. He always had a sense that he needed to follow you. You've seen him through hard times and good times, and... And then to this moment where he's launching a new work and seeking to reach people in the Skagit Valley. So we just praise you for that. We pray for Immersion Church that we're going to hear about. We pray that you'd provide for them and bless them. And, Lord, we pray for, uh, that you just speak to us in this moment. Fill Garrett with your spirit as he shares. Challenge our hearts, Lord. Encourage us forward, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, Garrett. Thank you, Ryan. You know, bring it to us. Thank you. Good morning, everybody.
1: Okay, I'm just going to breathe for a minute. Just relax. Um, So just to give a little outline of what we're going to be doing this morning, um, I'm going to kind of go back and forth between what Immersion Church believes and our story. So we're going to go kind of back and forth to um, some, some teaching and then some stories. And so just stay with me. It'll all make sense at the end. Um, and, and we'll get there. I want to start this morning um, just with this passage from Matthew. Um, because Immersion Church was essentially birthed from just some questions that, that came out of this. So Matthew 22, 34 through 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Immersion Church exists because of a question that was formed from this passage, You see, our our leadership team um, has spent a lot of time in churches. Many of us have been Christians our entire lives. and, And we came to a realization about what that was like. And often what it felt like was that what many churches and many Christians understood loving people. Really great at loving people. How to teach it, how to evangelize, how to serve. But when it came to practical things that we can do to love God, the teaching was really vague. Is really vague. And so this question formed in our hearts. What would it look like to become a person who really understands what it meant to love God well, and in return, be loved by him well? Don't get me wrong. Loving others is crucially important, and I'm never, I'm never going to fault anybody for loving their neighbor. But what happens is most people will love others, they'll serve their neighbor, and they will hope that that counts as loving God. Because it's true, when you love someone's child, it is loving to the parent, right? You all experience that if you have kids. If someone treats your kid really well, that matters to you. But here's the issue with that. If we spend more time loving people than we spend loving God, three things happen. The first two are Simple you'll find yourself pretty bored and pretty tired. Because a life spent only loving people is only half of the life that you were meant for. I want you to think for a minute about why Jesus came and died for you. What was his goal in doing that? It wasn't so we could live a life of forced solitude, right? We're all on board with that. It wasn't so we could try our best not to sin. Don't get me wrong. Avoid sin at all costs. But a life whose only goal is not to sin is hardly a life at all. Instead, look at what Jesus says in John here. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The Greek word for the phrase to the full can also be translated overflowing, abundantly. It's a picture of a a wine cup that's being poured into so vigorously it's pouring out of the sides. That's the imagery that Jesus is talking about when he says, this is why I have come. Life overflowing, life spilling over. Loving others well is only part of that equation. And no matter how good you are at it, and no matter how well you do it, that alone is only half of the life Jesus came to bring you. Now the third thing that happens is this. I have a buddy I brought today. This is Cardboard Garrett. This is a life-size cutout of myself, my youth pastor made. The third thing that happens in our walk with Jesus is that we begin to relate to someone who's more like a cardboard cutout than an actual person. You see, if we don't know who Jesus really is, then we don't know who Jesus really is. And that's a problem. If we aren't leaning into this practice of loving God... Then we get a picture of Jesus that is A, fuzzy at best, and B, flimsy and inaccurate. It leaves us trying to have relationship with a cardboard cutout. It kind of looks like Jesus. Seems familiar, but when push comes to shove... There's not much to stand on. We end up with a God void of personality, void of character, void of action, and void of substance. But if you look at the scriptures and you take them seriously, what you get is a full-bodied picture of a man so fierce and so intentional that his nickname is the Lion Of Judah. You get to see a man so at rest with his father and so confident in who he is and why he came that his nickname is the Prince of Peace, which is partly what he came to do, but partly who he is. That's the real Jesus. This was our opening sermon series when we, when we opened our doors last October. And it was all about how do we restore and rescue our picture of Jesus? Because it's been stolen from us. Because the thief comes to steal, steal, kill, and destroy. So how do we get it back? How do we find out who Jesus really is? What we want to learn how to do is to love God well first. First. To walk closely with him, to know him intimately, be known by him intimately, and then love others from that place. To love others from a place of of belonging, from a a place of, of peace, from a place of being a son of the most high God, from the place of being a daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Paul in Ephesians says this, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Nobody forced God's hand to come for you, to adopt you, to bring you into his family. Nobody forced him to do that. He did it because it made him happy. What you believe about who you are in Christ is the single most important factor when it comes to learning how to love Him. Scripture says you're a son, Scripture says you're a daughter. Do you believe it? Not just in your mind, but in how you live. Maybe a better question is instead of do you believe it, do you know how to believe it? Do you know how to live like you're a son of God or a daughter of God? In February of 2019, we began as a small Bible study meeting on Sunday mornings, and I do mean small. It was me, it was my wife, it was my six month old daughter and it was my in-laws, and that was it. Our aim starting that Bible study was about becoming people who loved God, and that's where we get our name. We are Immersion Church because we want our lives to be totally and completely immersed in Jesus. We don't just want Jesus to be a strong part of our life we don't want any part of our life to be separate from Him. Remember when you were young and you'd cannonball into the deep end of the pool? I don't go swimming a lot anymore. I always get ear infections. Growing up kind of stinks. But that moment when you hit the water and it spreads and then it comes rushing back over your head as you, as you go all the way in, That's what we want with God. You see, we want Jesus to be the very water that we swim in. Every part of us connected to and powered by Jesus. To have lives immersed in Jesus is why Immersion Church exists. Now, go through our timeline a little bit here. We began in February 2019, and we invited everybody that we knew. We invited people we met at work, people we met at bars, people we met at restaurants, Everybody said they'd come. No one ever did. No one came for a year. Well, that, that's not true. We did a barbecue, and, and one family is continuing to meet with us, and they're really cool. But almost nobody came. It was a long, slow year. But every time we'd pray, every time we'd go to Jesus and say, hey, are we still supposed to be doing this? Is this your idea, or is it our idea? I want to make sure I quote him right. He'd say, my timeline is different than yours. Hang tough. Keep going. Okay. So we kept meeting. We kept going. And early in 2020, we began to plan, hey, maybe we should launch an Easter. Easter is a good time to open up a church building. It's when a lot of people come to church. Um, and then COVID hits in March, right? Okay, so let's pump the brakes on that idea a little bit but we never stopped meeting. Our community was small, right? We were all safe. We didn't come to church if we had any flu-like symptoms. We did it right, but we never stopped meeting. So during all this time, my wife and I were rebuilding relationship with an old friend from high school who lives in California. Um, That's her on the right. Her name's Hannah. So we went to high school together. She moved away, married a man named Chandler. Yes, he is named after the guy from Friends. That's what his parents told him he is. Um, And so she married him. We got to know them over Zoom. Um, And we spent, we were closer with them than we were people in our like own community, right? Because everything was shut down anyway. So we were just Zooming with them. And um, we were walking with them through a job transition for Chandler. He he was a youth pastor, um, or youth intern, actually, and was applying for a youth pastor job at another church. Got really far into the interview process, uh, and then the church, you know, didn't actually pick any candidate. They didn't like anybody. So um, as we were walking through that with them, you know, Kelsey and I kind of looked at each other and were like, hey, we know this is going to sound absolutely crazy, but um, do you want to come move up? To Washington because they still lived in California, and uh, come plant a church with us. We don't have any youth yet, but when we get some, they'll be yours. Um, and you know, and, and and they laughed at us, which I don't, I, I can't even blame them for, right? It was a crazy ask, it was a crazy idea, but slowly as the months went by. They began to think about it a little bit more. He knew he w- it was time for him to leave his current church and do something. He was trying to figure out what it was. And we made an offer to them that said, yes, we, we want you to come and plant a church with us. We need your gifting. We need what you have to offer. We need a youth pastor. But more than that, we want you to come do life with us. Come, come buy a house near us. Come raise your kids as we raise kids. Come walk with us as we figure out just exactly what loving Jesus looks like and what that means. And in August of 2020, they moved up to become our youth, our, our youth ministry family. So then October 2020 comes along, all right? We decide, you know what? We feel like Jesus is kind of waiting on us at this point. Every time we pray, we kind of got this feeling of, hey, when you're ready, I'm ready. When you want to go, I'll go. So we launch. We open to the public. And the vision that we launched with was this. The vision of Immersion Church is to see Skagit Valley flooded with the kingdom of God. And we chose kingdom because we knew that included the love of God, the peace of God, the freedom of God. We wanted everything, right? Jesus came and he preached a lot about the kingdom. He shared a lot about the kingdom of God. Right, and so we thought, hey, if that's what Jesus is doing, we should do that. So that's what we want to see done. And if you know anything, if you've ever taken any leadership courses, or, or you know, really, you've just been in the church long enough, you've heard about vision and mission statements. But the vision of any organization is kind of the guiding light, the bullseye. What do you want to see accomplished ten years from now in your community? You know, in your in your own home, what do you want to see done? The mission of the organization is simply, how are you going to do it? What are you going to do to see that dream come to pass? Ours is this. Together, we will seek after God, discover who we really are in Him, and fight for the hearts of others. That's how we're going to see the kingdom of God come to the Skagit Valley. Right? And we didn't, say Mount, we didn't just say Mount Vernon. You know, there's five large towns and a bunch of small ones in Skagit Valley. There's 125,000 people in Skagit Valley. Our mission statement can be boiled down further to five streams. Uh, we call them the five streams, and essentially there are five pillars, or, you know, our five tenets, whatever you, you want to call them. But the five streams are the different ways in which we believe the river of life comes to us. So if you want the river of life, you live in the five streams. Walking with God, pretty crucial if you're going to walk with Jesus. Spiritual warfare, restoration, community, and being on mission. These are the five things that if you, if you want to know, okay, what are things that I can do to get closer to God, to move one step closer to Him, these are the five things we've boiled it down to. And some of these, I'm just gonna overview and just say, here's, you know, here's the verses we use and, and this stuff. Some of them, I'm gonna show you the verses. We're gonna spend some time talking about them. Well, we'll start with walking with God first. This one's pretty simple. We believe God created you for intimacy with him and others. Right, and so in that intimacy, you get to engage with the Holy Spirit. You get to engage with scripture. You get to hear the Lord's voice. We believe the Bible is a book of examples, not a book of exceptions. We've, what was that? Say that again. <laughs> so that includes your true identity, hearing the Lord's voice, walking with the Holy Spirit, right? This, this walking with God aspect is life is not up to you you have somebody on your side who can handle it. So that's, we're going to move on. Spiritual warfare. We believe that for a follower of Christ to become who they're meant to be, they will have to learn how to fight their enemy. I'm going to look at a couple verses here to further drive this home. 1 John 5, 19, We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. That's comforting. (laughs) Ephesians 6 says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Like it or not, the authors of Scripture deeply understand that somebody exists who hates you. His name is Satan. And he is jealous of the life that you get to have because it's no longer an option for him. It used to be. Then he decided he wanted to be king. He does not want you to be close to God. And so there's all sorts of different tactics. And I'm gonna go into those tactics today but they're there, I know you feel them. Discouragement, isolation, loneliness, all these things keep us from Jesus. It's not all you. There's somebody out there who wants to keep you from God. This spiritual warfare answers the question, how can God be so good and bad things still happen? Right? Because it's not just you and God, there's another party The world is still ruled by evil, according to Scripture. Why are we instructed to put on armor if everything is kosher? You don't put on armor in times of peace. You put them on in times of war. We're instructed to put on armor because things are not well. And you don't have to look very far to see it. Our hope doesn't rest in not having to fight, but instead it rests in the fact that Jesus has been given the authority to conquer everything and anything. And he has given that authority to us as his children. I could talk a lot about that. I've spent a lot of time talking about that. But I've got to move on. We're going to move on to restoration. And I'm just going to start by reading a scripture. And we'll walk you through that. So, in the book of Luke, Jesus gets up in the synagogue to announce his public ministry. And the scripture says that he pulled out the scroll of Isaiah, and he read this verse. What he reads is Isaiah 61. Here's what Isaiah 61 says. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners down in the synagogue after he reads this. So why did Jesus come? What is is Christianity supposed to do to a person? Make you whole again. Restore you, free you, release you, heal you. Bring you back to the life of God intended for you at the beginning. That's why Jesus came. That's why he came. The fourth tenet, or stream, sorry, is community. We believe that we're made in the image of a group, right? Jesus and God have never been alone. In the beginning, they say, let us, let us make mankind in our image. So we are not created from a place of isolation. We're created from a group, a relationship. Therefore, we need one another. That's why the church exists. We were never intended to operate alone. Uh, I don't have any verses to look at, but 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, right, all about the body of Christ, right? Not everybody's supposed to be a hand, not everybody's supposed to be a knee, right? We need each other. Also in the spiritual gifts as well, if you really dive into that stuff, you'll see that the Spirit parses out as He sees fit. He doesn't give everybody the same gifts. Um... I love movies. My in-laws love movies. And so when it comes to community, I think this is a, a really good operational truth. This is a quote from the movie Gladiator. Um, and if you've seen it, you know that th- this quote happens right as the, uh, the slaves are fighting, right? Maximus is leading the slaves in, in fighting. They're about to open the gates and lions and all sorts of crazy stuff is going to come flying out. And here's what he says. He talks to his men. He says, whatever comes out of these gates— We have a better chance of survival if we work together. If we stay together, we survive. I know that can be a little bit dramatic, but I think it's more true than the world would have you believe. The church survives if we stick together and if we love Jesus. And the last dream, being on mission, is a little bit different so we believe that God created every man, woman, and child for a unique and specific purpose. God meant something when he meant you. The first four streams are all about kind of personal walk with Jesus, right? Community involves other people, um, but it's all about how we interact with those things. The last stream, being on mission, is solely outward focus. It means that you're going to need a mission, a goal worthy of your life, if you are going to have the life of God that he's intended for you. Right in the Great Commission, Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen, 18 through 20 here, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The greatest mind in the universe hatches a plan for reaching the world. Delegation. He gives his kingdom and his purpose over to the church, and then he leaves. He sends the Spirit, of course. But he says, I am giving it to you. Go make my Father's purposes happen. I will be with you. We'll do it together. See, having something bigger than ourselves to live for is the key to experiencing life to the full with God. You're not supposed to be an island, right? Which I know in a time of shutdowns and masks can just feel like, what else can we do? But don't lose hope. Don't give in. Your life is meant to be lived outside of your living room. Trust me. Yes, So serving others is important. Giving is important. Loving others is important. But loving God's got to come first. Without it, everything else just falls short. Jesus says to himself, the first and greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. I want to, we're going to switch back kind of to our church timeline here. I'm going to go through this kind of quickly as we're winding down this morning. But, um, so in October 2020, we launch in a loft that my father-in-law built above his garage. So there it is. Fits about 40 people. We currently have about 20, 25 meeting up there now. Um, we, we, we had signs. We, we hung banners. We sent out postcards. To, we sent out like 5,000 postcards twice. Two people came to opening Sunday. So there was there was the worship team and two people because everybody else was out doing parking and making coffee and serving. And so we asked again, Jesus, are we still supposed to do this? Yes. Keep going. I'm with you. I am with you. By December of twenty twenty, this is what my father in law's driveway looked like. Right? Tons of cars. We're loaded. We're having a blast. We're thinking about, hey, we we might need to get a building soon, right? Then we get reported by our neighbors to the county, and we need to go underground. Because we were a church entity meeting in a residential area, couldn't have our signs out, couldn't have our address on the website, all public invitation to the community needed to be taken down. But because we had been through so much already and we were confident that every time we'd ask, Jesus would say, keep going. All that meant was we just had to get a little creative. So we printed out business cards and we gave them to our church people. And we said, hey, if somebody wants to come, just write the address down on the back and hand it to them. We couldn't do a public invitation. But even the county said, you can still do personal ones. So we just switched. And we continue to meet. So February comes around. Meeting in the loft is okay. It's definitely not what we want. It's hard to be, you know, underground and, and not have any new people able to find us, really. We're, we're on a house on the side of a cliff in Conway. You know, it's not like anybody knows where we are. But um, kind of this random, random story happened. You know, in February, there was kind of that big random snowstorm. Just kind of came through and coded everything, and then it was gone like the next day. Um, well, we got a notification that a church building had come up for sale, so um, we went to go check it out. So I had all-wheel drive, which was great. My buddy in a two-wheel drive truck did not, so it took us a while to go find the building, but we got there. And so this building um, closed its doors after 100-plus years of meeting as a congregation. Buildings built in 1957. And, I mean, they just kind of aged away. They didn't really bring any people in to bring in younger younger crowds. And um, so we, 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 like, we started dreaming, you know. We're like, man, this would be cool. I have no idea how 25 people are going to afford this building, but this would be cool. At the time, we were meeting with Nate, who's the Converge Northwest um, director. I, I don't know his exact title, but... Um, because one of one of the leaders at our church randy went to college with nate they've known each other for years and years so we were meeting and he told us about what's called the the cornerstone growth fund and it's a it's a um, fund where you can invest in it and that money gets invested into churches buying buildings and then you get a return you know on, on that money um, and he's like yeah there's like a million and a half dollars in there right now so if you Come a converged church. You can have access to that money. We can put a, an offer on this building and, you know, we, we'll go from there. So building was $800,000. We got approved for a loan for $700,000 by the, con, the, the Cornerstone Growth Fund. So we took that back to the church and said, this is all we can get. That work for you? They said, yes, but you have to be in by next weekend. All right, let's go. <clears throat> Let's do it. So, we buy this building. It's twelve thousand square feet. Sanctuary fits about two hundred fifty people, and it's old. It's really old. It smells old. It looks old. It feels old. It's dark and dingy. Oh, I forgot this picture. That's me signing the deed to the church. So that was pretty cool. So in April we bought it um, for. A just a great deal. The Lord's blessing on us. Typically, when I go into something, I feel like, Jesus, are you going to come with me on this? I, I'd like your blessing. I want to know if you're going to be here. But this whole experience was him opening a door and like us, like cattle prodding us through the door. Come on, little sheepies, let's go. Get in the building. Start your church. Let's move forward here. Let's save people. So we buy it in April and we begin renovations. All right, in the top left, the guy holding the, the urinal, it's my brother-in-law. I gave him that job. That's me in the middle with the, the pink-walled bathrooms. Yeah, we had to resheet rock those. There was pews we had to tear out. You got that going there. And in the bottom left, that's Alan. And that pretty much sums him up. <laughs> but when you walk into the building, you had this very cramped hallway. This is, obviously, we've already started taking that wall out a little bit, but we walked in, it was dark, it was dingy. Um, and, you know, so we, part of our renovation has been, let's open that bad boy up. We took the walls out, we put in these nice beams, stained them, put up a bunch of shiplap. We've been watching a lot of Fixer Upper lately. <laughs> painted it, you know, painted it black, gray walls. Definitely tried to modern up this building more for, the, for a new a new congregation and a new community that's going to come through there, right? So it's it's a it's not a total remodel, it's very close, it's very close. Um, we had to re-sheetrock the entire ceiling because it just looked like there'd been sixty years of youth kids with pole cues poking holes in it. Um, I've never done that. This was our kitchen. Um, as you can see, there's, also, like, there's sorts of weird angles. It, you know It's kind of those old 1960s cabinets. We cut out a, half a wall. We're going to put a coffee bar in. We painted everything black, painted the walls gray, put in a bunch of new sheetrock there as well, changed the light fixtures. There's new flooring underneath there. And then lastly, our sanctuary. So um, I showed this to Ryan, and he's like, hey, that looks pretty familiar. I don't know where I've seen that before. Um, and we just, we went to work. So we're not quite done with it yet. We've got chairs coming tomorrow. We've got carpet coming on the 14th. Um, that was a hefty bill, let me tell you. But here's what it looks like now. So we got a scissor lift and we stained the ceiling by hand. There was water damage, so we had to go with a dark color to cover that up. But we left the glue lamps. All the carpet out, all the pews out, all, the, all that wood paneling, all of that wood paneling covered by ship lap and then painted. Windows replaced, stage built. Um, you know, new wiring run for lights and sound equipment. So, in 4 months we've been working hard. It's all been volunteer except for the the sheetrock nobody wanted to do that if you can imagine. But but it's all been just our 20-25 people every Sunday after church, every Tuesday night showing up, working hard doing it because we believe without a doubt that God has called us to this. So the uh, the rest of our timeline, right? That brings us to today, August 22nd. Um, chairs arrive tomorrow, carpet gets installed on the 14th. September 26th is our move-in date for our congregation. We want to start and do some practice services there, work out the kinks, you know, see see what the acoustics are going to sound like, you know, and and all of that. And then October 10th is the commissioning of the building. We're going to have Converge Northwest there to come and pray over the building and, you know, launch it as a, a public church space. And then October 24th, 2021 is going to be our grand opening to the community. We need some help to get there. So I have some slides here. So in general, we're between 12000 and $15,000 short of our fundraising goal. Now, that's actually not that much left to do, but in a building as big as we have, that's like doorknobs, floorboards, murals for the children's room, projector, handicap accessible things. There's a lot of stuff that goes into a church to make it code. I'm learning a lot. So, we've done really good. We've actually, because we've done a lot of the work ourselves, saved a lot of money, but... Some things are more expensive than we planned on them. So um, if at any point God leads you to partner with us, just with a financial donation, you can go to immersionchurchskagit.org, and there's a Give tab there, and you can just donate right online. Um, that would be huge to us. We r- we're in the fourth quarter now, and I mean, th- if I'm honest, we're tapped. Our people are tapped Our staff is tapped. We don't actually even have staff. They're volunteers as well. Um, But I mean, we're happy. We just need some fourth quarter help. So there's the financial help. But also, if you love swinging a hammer, you love using a pin nailer, you love making something beautiful, Sundays, noon to five. 900 Skagit Street, Mount Vernon. Easy address to remember. And then Tuesday, 6 to 9 as well. We'd love to have you. Come make some new friends. Come restore our church building with us. Um, Helping hands, but also child care. If you're not really the, you know, restoration type of of, of person building-wise, I've got two young kids. I need to be at the church building. There's lots of ways you can help. So, um, like I said, our grand opening is on the 24th of October. Um... But if, if you have any questions, if God puts it on your heart to partner with us in any way, come find me after service. Love to connect, talk with you. Just meet you face to face. Find out your name. As we end today, because um, it's, it's time to end. I've gone a little bit over. Sorry about that, Ryan, but we're closing up. This is my favorite picture of Jesus that I've seen. Right? Um, I won't go into the story behind it, but I, I love this picture because I can, I feel like I am the apple of God's eye when I see this picture of Jesus. So what I want to do, I want to bring a little bit of immersion church to you this morning. So we'll, we'll often stop and take a minute to just spend time with Jesus right in service. Um, and we're going to do that. So at this time, I'd like to invite the worship team up. Um, and, and I'm going to lead you guys through just, just a common prayer that we do, just a time of um, meditation and, and really just opening yourself up to having more of the life of God that Jesus has, has promised you. And um, so I'm going to pray in the first person, but, you know, feel free to pray along with me in that. And then there's a couple questions I'm going to put on the board um, just for you to ask Jesus this morning. And after a couple minutes, then the, the worship team is going to lead us in our last worship song. Um, I'm going to leave this picture of Jesus up here just as we pray. And then um, as we leave time for questions, I'll, I'll switch the the slide over, over to that. So um, go ahead and start, you know, playing whenever you're ready. So. So Jesus... I just want to start by saying, I love you. And um, if you need to say that to Jesus this morning, if it's been a long time since you've said that, I encourage you to do that. Often we say, I'll follow you. I'm here for you. I, I need you. But how often do we just tell Jesus flat out, Hey, I love you. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so happy that you died for me, that you brought me back to life. Jesus, I love you. Lord, and I I lay down all the other things I've gone to for life, this week even, but Lord, my whole life, true life is found in you. Lord, I receive the truth that you came and you died for me. You gave me a way to be close to you again. You gave me a way for my life to be whole again. I receive that this morning. Jesus, I receive that not only did you die, but you rose again. And in your resurrection, new life is found. And because I'm with you, I too have died. Died to sin, died to the old man, I did the way I used to do things and now I get to live in you I am alive in Christ because of your resurrection Lord I receive that this morning Jesus I receive your ascension that you rose to be with God at his right hand you are the king of kings the lord of lords everything is under your feet I praise you for who you are. I know you have the authority, that you have my life in your hands, that you have the final say, and I rest in that this morning. Jesus, I rest in your truth. I rest in your life, your peace, your joy, your strength. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. I love you. I'll spend a couple minutes with these questions. Ask these things of God this morning and then listen. See what he has to tell you. Jesus, would you show me how much you love me? With a picture, with a a phrase, with a scripture, would you show me how much you love me this morning? And then Jesus, would you you tell me who I really am in you? Tell me how you've made me, how you've put me together, the things about me that you enjoy. We'll do that for a couple minutes, and then the worship team will go from there.